Greetings, Alpha Seekers. Uh, your host was AWOL yesterday, so we're doing a very early morning edition of the Alpha's Next podcast. And uh, although one of our little slogans is we watch CNBC so you don't have to, yesterday uh, we were working uh, in our capacity as a federal officer uh, very hard for you taxpayers. So uh, we didn't get a chance to watch as much of CNBC as we are usually inclined to. So we don't have as much commentary on the markets. Uh, I think the markets did pretty well across the board yesterday. And we do know that uh, we had some great earnings reports. Tesla showed a profit. Uh, Microsoft killed and there were some other good earnings reports josh turner the reform broker on cnbc it's funny yesterday he says you know uh don't invest in casinos don't invest in airlines don't invest in tourism we get it you know (laughs) so there's certain stocks that are just you know covid casualties and like american airlines right now is their ceo is on and uh, they're, they're toast. I mean, you know, people aren't getting on planes, at least in the short term. On the other hand, you know, Microsoft, Tesla, they're doing fine. People are still driving. I mean, the traffic out there is almost is back to its normal frustrating level. So, uh, you know, some things are bad, but most of the economy really chugs along. Um, at least in the publicly traded side of it, you know, the, the restaurants and bars, and they just close the bars again, which I think is good. It always amazes me people are willing to risk their lives for a drink. But then again, <laughs> as an Irishman, you know, not unfamiliar with the uh, iron grip of alcohol on the psyche, I shouldn't be so surprised. But they, these aren't elkies, these are kids, you know, packing into the bars, spreading COVID each other. I, I don't get it, you know. But then again, when I was young, I probably would have done the same thing. So anyway, what prompted me to um, actually hop on at this point is I read an article called The Cobra Effect. And, uh, yeah, let me think of so anyway, the cobra effect is this uh, ancient, uh, perhaps apocryphal anecdote about the government in India, and there were too many snakes running around, cobras, so, you know, the old snake charmer. So the government put a bounty on cobras, and that worked pretty well for a while, until people started, you know, breeding cobras so that they could get the bounty. And then the government figured out, hey, wait a minute. So they stopped paying the bounty, so all the cobra breeders let their cobras loose. <laughs> and lo and behold, now you had more cobras than ever. And the, the, the moral of the cobra effect story is that government intervention uh, to cure a problem is worse than the disease. Um, so I saw a quote, Jim Iorio, who's a talking head on CNBC from the, uh, I think he's a futures guy, uh, 
he came out and said that uh, there was a congressperson from Massachusetts who said, you know, cancel rent, cancel student loans, and cancel something else. I forget what it was. And he said, you know, your your comment doesn't make me angry. It makes me sad because you have such a fundamental misunderstanding of how the economy works. And, you know, in, on the Ventures Next side, we were looking at an apartment building. We were real high in commercial real estate. But then when in Chicago they passed this rent forgiveness policy so that if the tenant decides they don't want to pay rent, you can't. You know, they don't have to. Well, (laughs) where does that leave us? So, you know, it leaves us bankrupt. Now, the theory goes that, my realtor tells me this, if you get people with high credit ratings, they will pay. Because, and back when I was, back in the day when I was in the private sector looking for jobs, I don't recall anybody checking your credit rating. You know, they would check a lot of other stuff, but not your credit rating. Uh, But now they do, because evidently, you know, and this makes sense, if somebody's got a low credit rating, then they've got a lot of debt, and they might do something stupid or desperate and might might embezzle or what have you. And it's also an indicator, in many cases, of, uh, you know, gambling or drug use or what have you. Excuse me. So, um, you know, if you get a good job and you want to get another good job, you have reasons beyond the normal reasons to keep your credit rating up because it's it's kind of like your SAT score. I'm surprised somebody hasn't filed some kind of suit about that because you know I've been I've ran up my credit card debt temporarily to avoid selling stocks in March and. So my credit rating right now is real low. <clears throat> but the minute I pay it off, it'll go right back up to its normal, pristine level. So, you know, that doesn't mean I'm a bad guy. That may mean I'm, you know, it may not, you, you can debate the strategy. But my, my, my thinking on it is if I pay a high interest rate for like two months, it's not really that bad. Anyway, reasonable people could disagree. But, I mean, I haven't become a gambler or drug user. So anyway, um, but uh, that Cobra story, the rest of it argues that you're going to have some unintended consequences from all the government intervention. You're going to have hyperinflation, and then they're going to have to put the brakes on with high rates, and then you're going to have deflation, and I don't buy any of that. Um, You know, back in... I saw somebody with a stat today and said, back in the uh, Great Recession, 2008-9, I think they cut taxes, maybe cut payroll taxes or something, and the average monthly benefit was... No, actually, they sent out stimulus checks, I think. I didn't get one because I was making a lot of money, relatively speaking, at the time. So it was like 300 bucks. Well, now they're sending out 600 a month, right? So, um, or is it 600 a week? Mm. So uh, they're debating that now in Congress, and they're probably going to cut it to 400. But it's you know it's it's a lot more money that they're throwing at this one than they did at the at the financial crisis. 
and that just shows you how far things have come uh, in terms of government intervention, and that's bipartisan by and large. So, but I don't buy the inflation story. Um, I do know that I've been reading people like uh, there was some automotive manufacturer, somebody yesterday that's a manufacturer, and they said they're having trouble getting components. Um, and that may be because things have slowed down in China. Um, you know, people are not necessarily reporting to the workforce here because of the disease. And, and the other phenomenon is you have to spread people out within a manufacturing plant. So you can't get the kind of productivity you do when you got shoulder to shoulder in an assembly line or a meat packing. Anybody who ever worked blue collar knows what I'm talking about. The workstations have to be, in some cases, close together to maximize throughput on an assembly line. <coughs> Your operations majors will be able to tell you that. So, uh, you know, you just can't make this stuff fast enough. So maybe that has some inflationary impact. Maybe, you know, this... Uh, Fight for 15 movement has some inflationary impact. But the just increasing the money supply uh, is not, in my mind, going to do it. You know, silver's on a tear, by the way. And supposedly it has more room to run, but that's... There is an industrial use for silver, but uh, it's basically a momentum play. And I saw a great... Uh, way of expressing a momentum play people are buying it because it's going up and that's the only reason they're buying it if it's going up i'm buying it and to a certain extent that's the stock market right now i mean i talked to a guy who used to be an uber driver and he's a student and he says you know i said how you doing it because you're not driving anymore because of the virus he said i'm making my money in the stock market and he's made some astonishingly good trades in my mind so <clears throat> um you know a lot of these folks on robin hood and such you know it's like barstool bernie you know uh, stocks always go up well they don't but they have lately since march so you got a lot of people buying stocks because they just because they're going up for no fundamental reason no valuation reason so uh, so I think that's what's going on in the market, but uh, I don't buy the whole inflation thing. I think we've got such a global market and we've got such a digital disruption era here that, you know, labor prices don't mean as much as they used to do. Money supply doesn't mean as much as it used to. I, I don't see the inflation coming. People have been telling me inflation is coming since 2009. You know, that's 11 years I've been waiting. And, and I wouldn't even have a problem if it did because, you know, <clears throat> if you're a passive income guy, if inflation goes up, the risk-free rate of return goes up too. So if you can moderate your spending and you get a better even the Fed thinks we could use... The Fed has been actively trying to induce inflation for the last 10 years. Can't do it. <clears throat> and it's because of globalization. And it's because of, uh, 
you know, digital disruption, disintermediation, we've had enormous productivity gains that don't necessarily show up in the economic stats just by middlemen getting cut out, middle people. So <clears throat> direct-to-consumer is where it's at, over-the-top cable, yabba da da So, you know, but that Cobra story is a fun story. So I thought I would tell that story. And then that ties into the uh, loan forgiveness story. But it'll be interesting to see. Uh, the other thing I, I saw yesterday that was remarkable is that, you know, the market is starting. I think it was Kramer that was talking about the market starting. Yeah, it was. He did a thing about what went wrong in the last bull market, uh, like 2000, I think, the dot-com crash. And what could go wrong in this market? Because he sees things like Tesla just keeps going up. And he tweeted, Tesla is not a stock. Whatever it is, it's not a stock. Because there's no way you could get to this valuation with any kind of stock analysis technique that that anybody knows of. And that does sound dangerously like back in 2000 with the dot-com bubble. Bubble. But he listed a fa- uh, uh, some factors on, you know, like one slide, several bullets that uh, pose the risks that he sees facing the market today versus 2000. And there are different kinds of risks. But one of the risks, and at least he's starting to pay attention to the uh, elections, uh, if indeed Biden wins and Trump loses, the Democrats are talking about making capital gains uh, the same as ordinary income rates, which would mean that, number one, they're not just a flat tax, they're graduated. And number two, uh, you know, right now I think cap gains are at 20%. So you could double, <clears throat> easily double the cap gains rate because the top top marginal tax rate on earned income used to be like 39 and then there was a i think another three percent medicare surcharge so that gets you up to 43 so you can bet and almost a zero risk bet that they're going to go back up to where they were before trump lowered them and i would think there's a fairly good probability that they're going to go even higher so if cap gains can be taxed at you know, close to 50%, that really changes the math for a lot of investors. Um, there's also talk, at least in New York, of taxing unrealized capital gains. So let's say you bought Tesla at 200 and you own it now and it's at whatever it is, 1800 and you don't sell it. Well, you get taxed 50% of that $1,600 per share increase in valuation. And then let's say your stock goes back down to 200. (laughs) Tough, tough nuggies. I mean, maybe they would put something in so that you could take the loss. I suppose they would, actually. You know, you could take a capital loss and deduct it, but uh, you would effectively get taxed on, on money you never saw. Just money that, you know, paper profits. And that is really a deterrent to investing in stocks. But 
But then the question becomes, you know, it's the Tina thing. There is no alternative. If you can't get any return on uh, risk-free assets and, you know, you cut the return in half on risk assets, where does that leave you? Where are you going to go? Are you going to invest in real estate, you know, when when they, they want to cancel the rent? Uh where are you going to go? Precious Where are you going to go? So you may still have to invest in risky assets and just find ways to, you know, either dodge the taxes or just take the hit, make half as much money as you would have, because I don't know where else you're going to go to make money. Um, the the and that that's sort of the cobra analogy, you know, you. If you want, there are certain situations, theoretically, if you tax something, you'll get less of it. But then there are certain other situations where if you, it can be that convert, that, that sort of con, convoluted or contrarian effect of the, of the cobra, the tail of the cobra, you know. If you put a bounty on something, you'll get more of it. So... Um, in the case of taxes, the COBRA effect is not going to come into play. What you're, if you tax income higher, you're going to get less income. And that's why no matter what the nominal marginal rates are, your tax rate always maintains an incredibly consistent level, about 19%. And this is over the history of the modern income tax, which was put in in 19... I think 18, you know, because people who make a lot of money or anybody who's smart enough to make a lot of money is smart enough and has enough wherewithal to pay accountants and lawyers who are smarter than us government employees. So you can pass all the laws you want. Like if you pass a wealth tax, everybody will lever up. So your, your wealth is a function of your assets, less your liabilities. So if I'm worth a billion dollars and I owe a billion one, then my net worth is negative. <clears throat> so no tax. You know, there's all sorts of games you can play. I was talking to somebody yesterday. Said the only, the only tax that these uh, tax advisors are afraid of is the value-added tax, because you can't dodge it. It it gets laid on on top of everything you buy and in effect it's a consumption tax and i know that i've heard people talk about tax policy and say yeah go ahead uh do the vat but drop the income tax but in practice what happens and this has happened i think in every country that's put a vat in it's not a instead of it's an in addition to and that is inflationary so you have higher prices for goods and services, and then they don't offset it with uh, cuts or elimination of other kinds of taxes like income tax. So the state just gets bigger and bigger. And what's impressed me in my census career is talking to people who come in, and they're real hardworking people. They're looking for work. They're eager to work. In some cases, they're proud to help do the work, you know, from a patriotic standpoint, which is particularly admirable, I would say. Um, you know, so if you 
if you put out the universal basic income and you cancel student debt and you make rent free, which will in practice mean subsidized by the federal government, uh, is that going to affect people's incentive to work? You bet. Uh, And then what are you going to tax? Nobody makes any money because nobody needs to work. Nobody needs to invest. What are you going to tax? You end up having to print this stuff, which is where modern monetary theory comes in. And uh, now the argument may be, I mean, people, what I found is people are really excited to get this census job, which I think pays like 20 bucks an hour. And, you know, what does that tell you? What that tells you is there's not a lot of jobs out there because this is just a temporary thing. Everybody turns into a pumpkin like Cinderella uh, in October. So, uh, you know, people scramble to find work. And if there's, and that's to a certain extent because with automation and digitization, there's just more people looking for work than there is work that pays. So that's the most powerful argument for universal basic income. But you know, I think that's the direction we're going to go in. But the the one thing I have noted uh, from Biden is, you know, rather than Medicare for all, they're going to go for the public option, which is okay. I mean, that's what we expected to get in 2008, 9, 10. And eventually you end up with Medicare for all, but it's it's a it's a much more gradual transition. So Biden turns out to be... While he may get pushed left, he's not going to get pushed to Sanders' left. Uh, and I even saw our our darling of the liberal uh, press, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a.k.a. AOC. She seems to be sort of, you know, uh, calming down or becoming more of a realist. She says that to her progressive wing, she said, look, you know, we may have to compromise. And instead of getting Medicare for all, we may get the public option. That's okay. I mean, that's very statesmanlike. You know, I was really shocked. So being in Washington has the tendency to moderate, curb your enthusiasm. Um, even in cases like AOC, who who is a big proponent of modern monetary theory, which basically means you can print as much money as you want, lay it off on the debt markets, and as long as you get 2%, as long as your growth in GDP is greater than the interest rate, you can basically do that forever. And that's your that's your socialist credit card. I mean, you can do anything you want if you buy into that theory because money is no longer an issue. And what you realize then, as I think I've said before, is, you know, people who make a lot of money and have a lot of wealth will fight you to the death if you try to tax it from them because they consider it to be confiscatory. But they will eagerly lend it to you at low or even negative rates. And this is something that Trump and AOC, ironically and perhaps unconsciously, agree on. You know, oh, yeah, you're going to give me 10-year treasuries and pay me 0.6%. I'll take it. They'll lend you all the money you want. Uh, 
And you just keep rolling it over. And the Chinese and all the other big, you know, dollar uh, holders, they'll flood into them, you know. Now, China, the China trade war, uh, you would think, would, would, you know, have a negative effect on our ability to issue treasury debt. The auctions are going fine. A lot of people in the United States... They have to invest in treasuries because the federal government requires them to, like the big banks. Now, here's a guy in CNBC named Ch- Chamath Hapatia, I guess. And he's with an outfit called Social Capital. And he's one of these angry young men um, who wants to uh, do this and that and... Very much a reformer. So he's kind of talking slow. I don't think I'm going to be able to capture his latest radical idea. But anyway, that's that's the way I see it today. And the markets uh, look like they're going to open positive. So, So that is what's going on. And that's about all I have to say. You'll be relieved to know half an hour later. So, I hope you enjoyed it, if you listened to it all, or if you listened to part of it. So, uh, have a good day, and we'll uh, talk at you. Might do one later tonight, or might do one tomorrow. Bye-bye.